everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. We kind of gave you guys a heads up last week and warned you guys. Uh, our podcast is available on Spotify and iTunes, and everything is also now uh, being recorded live and can be seen on YouTube and our Facebook page and everything like that. So you guys get to see the ugly faces behind this voices. Uh, I am your host, Timuchin, as always, and with me, we have our usual trio, starting with Gally. Gally, what's going on, man? What's happening, guys? Uh, always good to have a Monday off. Appreciate Labor Day. Oh, man, don't say that. I have to freaking work today. I had some, like, catching up to do. So that's the joys of working from home and doing your own thing, I guess. But with us, as always, the hardest working guy ever is Mr. Paul Bickler's with us. Paul, what's happening? Listen, you got a lot of stones bringing me in on a national drinking holiday, but I was promised time and a half, so here I am. <laughs> well, you're still drinking, so what's the difference? Um, <laughs> we're all good here. So a lot to talk about. Normally on an international break week, uh, we're kind of like spending our entire time praying that nobody gets injured and everybody gets to come back. Uh, but this has been an odd week of international football, soccer, and it's not even over yet. So we got another batch of games coming up starting tomorrow and Wednesday. So uh, let's get to them real quick. Kind of like go one by one. I kind of want to see what you guys thought of it. First off, obviously, let's uh, address the, the scare issue. Uh, both Minamino and Elliot had uh, injury scares this week. And the panic uh, gang was out. But sounds like both of them were precautionary. Minamino is not meant to be, you know, told to be as serious i guess and same for elliot's he was kind of like taken out of the squad just as a precautionary measure but i would think it would probably rule them out of the leads game automatically if they were going to be involved i don't think minamino was going to be involved anyway uh elliot possibly but uh at least so far so good in terms of avoiding any major injuries but we have weirder stories to get to starting with Navi Keita getting stuck due to a military coup and not being able to travel back. I have not heard anything yet as of this recording here. Uh, he's still there, correct? Liverpool said, you know, he's safe and everything, but he still has not left and headed back home. Have you guys correct. heard anything else? No, I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anything else. I mean, that is a freaking odd story, and it's kind of scary. I mean, I know it's almost like what the hell kind of a story in some ways, but having been, uh, having grown up in Turkey and having seen one of those military things, uh, it's no fun. Well, actually, scratch that. It's fun for a kid because uh, what happens is nobody can go out. So you can go out in the streets and play uh, soccer in the freaking wide-ass street where there would normally be like a two-lane traffic. Uh, but I was a kid for the adults, not as much fun from what I understand. Uh, but does that affect anything, do you think, uh, in terms of his fitness and being ready to go, Paul, if needed against Leeds? <clears throat> I mean, I have no idea because I don't know what the travel restrictions are. Like, will he even be back in time? Like, I mean, generally they want those guys within 48 hours, you know what I mean? And, like, we don't have any, any timeline on when he's going to be back, right? So if he doesn't leave... I would think if he doesn't leave Gambia by by Friday, like, I mean, there's no way. But, like, I, I don't know. I got to imagine by then we will have sent in, like, SEAL Team 6 or somebody to get him. But, like, we'll, I'm sure that we'll figure out a way to get him back. But um, I don't have any way of knowing that for sure. I mean, 
That situation's wild, dude. I mean, Africa does that, right? Like they, they have these military coups in all these different countries that there's not an active genocide going on. It's just wild. So um, who knows? I'm, I'm like, I wish I was more knowledgeable and more up to date on that situation, but I'm not. It's I, like I say, it's just like an odd thing. I, we've seen all kinds of stuff like this where, uh, you know, Injuries, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think I've ever heard of this before for a player that we sent to international duty not being able to come back. So it's just an odd story. What, Like I say, this international break has been nothing but odd stories. And perhaps the oddest one is this Brazil-Argentina game. Uh, so there has to be a lot of like behind the scene politic power battles and stuff like that for this to happen. I'm sure more everybody kind of knows what has happened so far where the game got postponed and they came in and took away Argentina players like in the fifth minute of the game. Galley, what do you make of this mess? Well, that's exactly what it was. It was an absolute mess. I mean, the idea that they stopped a match five, six minutes in with health officials on the pitch like they were like they were the uh like they were the FBI or the CIA coming in to just take and just usher specific players off. Um obviously like Messi said they were training in the country for three days. At any point, they could have come and spoken to them. I guess they weighed it, and as soon as they saw that they were brazenly just avoiding the rules or um, misinterpreting them to their advantage, they decided to halt the play, but they could have just as easily let the match played out and then asked them to have the match abandoned at that point. I guess they were going to say they were doing it uh, for health and safety, but let's be real. If those were three Premier League players playing for Chile, I'm not sure that action would have been taken with that uh, with a, that much theater on the pitch. I think it had a lot to do that that was Argentina. And uh, the fact that Brazil was angry, their players weren't there. And if Argentina's players were there, the match wasn't going to happen. Which... That's what's odd, isn't it? Like, I mean, they kind of had to know these guys were in the country. And I realize, you know, they're like, oh, they didn't put it on the form and stuff. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you guys didn't know? I mean, you would think as they prepare for the game, they're going to be like, hey, we don't have these, these, these guys because they play in England, but they're not going to have these, these, these guys. Wait, what? They have them? How is that possible? I mean, why wouldn't that just come up? The fact, the only thing that was odd to me is... Okay, let's say they're like, oh, shit, I didn't know they were playing in England. And then they realize it. So did the Argentina, like the crew, have an idea that they were coming? Because they're saying their story is the reason they did it on the field is they went to the locker room and the locker room door was locked. Like, did they not knock? Did Argentina like, don't open the freaking door. It's the health guys. Like, we're going to come out and play. <laughs> Nobody make a sound. We're not here kind of thing. <laughs> I just didn't understand that entire story about door was locked, so we had to go out and get him on the field. I mean, it's not like they got teleported onto the field. Why can't you just get him in the tunnel? What do you make of this, Paul? I figured you would be all over this story. <laughs> Honestly, man, because it falls in the window of international break, I tried to know as little details as possible about it. But um, what my takeaway was very similar to you guys. I mean, 
clearly the Brazilian Football Federation has had their fucking tail up and they've been pissy for weeks now. I mean, like, you know, they went where they wanted FIFA to impose that five-day ban on Brazilian players, meaning they would miss matches coming back to the Premier League because they were pissy that, like, you know, the Premier League was not going to send country, like send players to red-level countries. And so, you know, when it didn't, it, it, it feels like it didn't, they weren't able to get anywhere with FIFA. So they were like, how can we retroactively fuck with Argentina? Like, they hate each other. Those countries hate each other. Like, it feels like they waited till that match came to to the point where it was going to be kickoff, and then they made a stink, and they had that thing happen. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure there's details out there that will, like, shed more light on this as we get more information, but it just feels like the Brazilian Football Federation was just, was just out to fucking intentionally make a mess of something, right? It's like when, like, I don't know, man. It's like when you're out playing ball with people and somebody comes late and they want to join and they can't, they come in and fuck the game up for everybody. That's what it feels like. It feels like Brazil was like, all right, if we're not going to have our best guys in, then we're going to screw this up for Argentina too and we're not going to play at all. I almost thought, maybe you know, took, the way it's maybe done, like, more about me. <laughs> the like the federation was like, oh yeah, you know what? We just, I mean, the whole confusion is obviously coming from the fact that they just had Copa America there and they had kind of like, you know, banned some of the rules to be able to get that thing rolling and the cup still be played. So Argentina is like, oh, we thought it was still those rules kind of thing. And that's why they sent their guys. I guess the, the thing is, it sounds like the Brazilian federation was like, yeah, that's cool. We just did it last month. Go ahead. But then the health department is like, hell no. And that's why I thought there was some like some kind of like a political battle in the background. Like, nope, I'm I make the COVID rules around here kind of deal. But it was it was just odd. I mean, I another thing that I don't think I've ever seen. Uh usually when the game gets postponed is for like crowd trouble or lightning or some crap like that. I've never seen like health officials coming in and like trying to like, you know arrest guys <laughs> and just like haul them away and say it was just like weird but uh, like and, guys, man. <laughs> so to go along with that another odd story is probably van dyke doing his heisman impression on this guy coming in to trying to get a picture taken uh what do you make of that galley i mean i just felt like He's like, dude, I don't know where you're coming. And I almost feel like under normal conditions, it would not be as much of a Heisman shove, uh, a stiff arm. But it, with COVID and everything going on, it's like the last thing you need is having contact with a dude that you're not supposed to. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The fact that he just got a stiff arm is very lucky for the man in the photo with the hoodie because he could have got – a right hook, he could have got, uh, security could have got him. I mean, honestly, we we talked about it in our, in our Discord chat. You know, there have been a lot of these instances in sports where it hasn't been a person with a camera. You know, the uh, Monica Seles instance years and years ago in the tennis match comes to mind. And I just think the fact that you can see it in Virgil's face, he handles it with class, and that's what he does. But he was frustrated. Like, what are you doing? Get out of here. You know, he's a professional doing his job. 
and they don't love talking to these media uh, moments after matches and, and before matches. They want to do their job and and get the recovery they need. And I think the fact that uh, in 2021, people are still running up to get selfies. Um, I will assume there was an alcoholic beverage or two partaken that led to the idea that this was good. And for that, I guess I'll give them a pass on, uh, as Paul said, this federal drinking holiday. But uh, it was a bonehead move all, all the way around. And I'm happy it was a phone and not some other type of uh, weapon in his hand. I mean, the good thing is, calm as you like, uh, he just kept going. Like, he just like, shoved the guy out of the way and quick answering the question. And like you say, it's not a kind of like joy for these guys to be doing this in the first place. Uh, especially after a result that, you know, was not ideal for them. Uh, what do you make of it, Paul? I mean, what's your take? I It was kind of like odd because I read online like people normally saying, oh, what happened? You know, like he's just a fan and stuff. But I really feel the fact that the COVID deal makes it a bigger deal than just a fan coming in to try to get a picture. Yeah, two things strike out, like you know, stick out to me. I didn't really think, you know, my I didn't really think, oh, COVID. Like that wasn't my initial reaction. Like, the two things that struck me was like, a, as an American, you would never see this shit happen post game. Like, there's just too much security. Like, we've had too many instances in this country. Like, we, you would just never be able to see somebody like that get that close to a high profile athlete in a post game interview. Um, Secondly. Like, if you just listen to the audio and you don't see any of this go down, <laughs> Van Dyke doesn't even, like, you can't even, you don't even know anything happens. Like, he just does the, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, how he just, he doesn't, literally, there's no pause in the audio. It's, it's wild. Um, yeah, man, like, look, if you're in the middle of doing an interview post-match and, and you're answering a question, you're in the middle of answering a question, I got to believe that somebody coming in your peripheral uh, at you is, is, kind of scary like and that's my takeaway is like that's got to be pretty scary for an athlete like i mean i not to say that they're expecting something bad but you don't know like you don't know and like um i think that he could have handled that about as well as he could have and the people that are like oh like he should have stopped and like you know acknowledge the fan that's just insane like a you're not deep like you're not like discouraging that behavior from happening again if you do that and second of all, I just don't think that's a natural reaction to somebody surprising you in the middle of something, you know, like a space that is supposed to be yours. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't like, you know, like, like Gally's saying, I mean, if you turn around and just like swung at him, that'd be one thing. But it was just like, man, get off me. Not now kind of deal. And then just kind of like pushed him away. I thought it was just like, I mean, it sounded like, it, in, this was, I think, one of the first things to come out of this international break. And it was like, ah, oh, that's weird. But with all the other stuff we just covered, this was like kind of like nothing at the end. Uh, so before we get to the weekend's game, and I, obviously there's a bunch of games coming up on our way and the Champions League, I don't think we ever got a chance to kind of like talk about uh, the groups and how, how we ended up in this group and what you guys thought. I mean, it wasn't ideal. I guess it could be worse. Uh, I just felt like overall it is going to be like a tough group, uh, but kind of like want to get your guys' take on it and what you guys kind of forecast us doing. So, Gally, let's start with you. 
Uh, what do you make of like this uh, Group B? Well, I, is is it tougher than the Europa League group of Group G? Yes, clearly. Um, you know, that's you look at some of these groups in there. The balls came out, and it was a top-heavy draw. Groups A and B are by far the two toughest groups, in my opinion. I think we'll do fine, and I do believe we'll advance. I think AC Milan uh, is probably in this tournament a year or two early. Uh, they had a good campaign last year, but they hung on to finish fourth in Italy and just barely squeak in or third. So I think that they're going to really struggle. And, and and we usually have our way with Porto, uh, both home and away. So I think, you know, we can get a result against Atletico. I'm okay with this group that way. Uh, it's just there won't be any dead rubbers come the end of this group stage by any means. We'll be playing meaningful nights in Europe all the way through. How about you, Paul? What's your take on this group here? I think it falls somewhere in the middle. I mean, I don't think it's an easy group, but I don't. Th I don't think it's. I don't think it's super tough. I mean, I don't love to see Atletico, right? I mean, but I, I gotta say, if you're gonna get a team that plays you traditionally tough and is tactically very tough to play against, at least you're playing a team that you've got plenty of motivation to beat, right? I mean, we should have all the motivation in the world to beat the pants off Atletico. Um, and if you look at the group, like you know, Galli said, traditionally we've been very strong against the Portuguese teams. Um, AC Milan, I agree with Galley. They're not, they're not probably as good, um, as they were last season. I think, you know, they're, they're a little bit weakened. Um, and when you look at this, there's no real travel nightmares, which is nice. I mean, I much prefer this group than having to go, uh, all the way to the Ukraine or, or, or Russia or any of those sort of far reaching places that are kind of tough, um, you know, uh, to, to go play. I think the main thing that I was worried about and like wasn't too big on is the fact that, you know, there are not going to be a lot of games where we can say, I mean, like we had last year, I guess, which where we got Jota injured. That's a different story. But at least, you know, like the potential to have, I mean, in terms of the schedule, uh, we first play with Milan at home. Then we go to Porto, then kind of like a back to back with Atletico Madrid. I mean, the only way I can see it is, you know, almost like going uh, three wins and a draw or, you know, four wins for us to be able to kind of like, you know, rest or, you know, like rest some people at least against Porto at home and stuff. Do you envision that happening at all, Gally? Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, um, you know, Liverpool notoriously doesn't play well on their away legs in, in Italy. Uh, it doesn't really matter who they're playing or when. Um, so that Milan match, uh, is that first one on the road or is that first one at Anfield? I can't remember on the schedule. Uh, first one is home, looks like. First one's at home. That's good. That gives us a much better chance of winning that match. Uh, I'd feel confident we can get a win against Porto. I just think it's all going to come down to the Atletico uh, Madrid games. And I don't mean it's going to come down to advancing. It's going to come down to whether or not matches five and six are extremely meaningful or just possibly, uh, you know, positioning between winning the group or finishing second. Uh, but this is an interesting time where I think you really want to win your group. Um, I think that the draws will be interesting as we come through. Um if you look at the way that the draws came out here, I think it could be a very, very top heavy round of 16 uh, knockout stages because of so many powerful teams in the second pot. 
how about you, Paul? Any like doubts about, I mean, advancing or at least or being number one? Uh, I'm not really too worried about anything other than advancing. I'm not really worried about the seeding because I think you got to win. You got to go through some tough teams to win the whole thing anyway, right? I mean, and the way the the way the pods kind of fell this year, there's going to be some tough teams right out of the gate, even if you're a one seed coming out. So. Um, you know, to your point about resting and stuff, I don't think it would have mattered. I mean, I think we could have had this group locked up four games in and Klopp's still going to field the same team. I mean, look what we did versus, you know, Midgetland. That, that game was a dead rubber. There was no reason. We could have played, like, essentially our all our U23s and it wouldn't have, like, it wouldn't have mattered and we still put up, like, our starting, for the most part, our starting 11 and then people got hurt. So, like, I just think that, man, Jurgen Klopp, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to play the same team. He's going to play all of our strongest players regardless. And then he's going to put all the kids out for the cups, like for the for the domestic cups. So, I mean, I think it just kind of is what it is in that regard. What do you think, Gally? I mean, we kind of know, and it is, you know, obviously when that injury to Jota happened is, you know, you can also say, and I think that's Klopp's values having game minutes a lot more than, a lot of the other coaches in terms of being game ready and having game minutes under your belt. And I think, you know, that's, I assume at least, you know, without being in the head, uh, that's why, you know, he does play these guys in games like that so that they have game time minutes under their belt. So when called upon in the premier league, which is going to be a lot more physically challenging, they're kind of ready to go. It's not the same as just practicing. That's me being the devil's advocate. So Gally, what do you say? Well, I, I mean, one, I think you're probably somewhere in there, right, that he was playing Jota to give him more minutes and more experience, score more goals, and just get more embedded into the system um, for the Premier League challenge. Um, I'll also say he was wrong in playing him in a game that didn't matter when we were starting to just be on the cusp of an injury crisis. Um it's okay, too, to say that the manager's wrong. He can still be one of the best managers in the world and make mistakes. And Paul's right. I think he plays the same team all the time. I do think he'll have to change that a little bit this year. Uh, they, they're cramming in matches. It looks like they're basically going to play two games a week for about 12 to 15 straight weeks uh, again this year like they did last year. And I just think he's going to have to do some rotating. Um and they're going to jam in extra matches during international breaks like they are. I mean, now they're playing three in a week instead of two. And I think you have to take that into account or you might find these guys getting hurt. And I think it's important uh, that they prepare, as we've always said, you know, he doesn't play a big squad. So you got to play at least the guys that you trust and rotate some of them here and there between the Champions League and the Premier League. And I think we talked about that before in terms of, I mean, if you say, you know, one weakness or one maybe aspect of his management, we do not like as much because obviously, you know, I think any LFC fan has to, you know, love the guy for what he's done and what he continues to do um, is that, you know, the rotation and managing a bigger squad. I mean, last episode we recorded, we had one more day left before, you know, the, the transfer deadline, we kind of figured nothing was going to happen and nothing happened. So there's a lot of like, you know, uh, doom and gloom people out there just waiting for injuries to happen. And when this Taki thing happened, everybody was all over that. Then Elliot happens, you know, like, I mean, we have, you know, you're going to have a certain 
type of fan that either was really wanted the signings or really thinks we wanted needed the signings. So any news that you're going to kind of like trash. I mean, I'll be honest. I was hoping that we would get an attacker for depth, especially a winger for depth. But we did not see it happening, especially not being able to offload Divac and stuff like that. Um, but then you see the depth charts. If used properly, it does look like we have a lot of quality. Where do you stand on that, Paul? Do you foresee you know, the lack of depth, especially up front? I think we're definitely fine defensively and for midfield. You can't just plan on having like eight injuries and build a squad like that. I mean, I think everybody's scared off of what happened last year, but I mean, there's no way you know you're not you're gonna you're not gonna have like eight center backs just in case four get injured and stuff like that. So, uh, what do you how confident are you? I guess with this uh, depth charts the way it is. Yeah, so I'm with you. I would have preferred to see an attacker added too, and I know that that's probably surprising some people because I've been very supportive of the window in general. Um, I think a lot of people have this thing backwards, though. A lot of people are saying, like, well, FSG isn't opening up the, the purse strings. They're not, like, you know, giving Klopp the tools he needs to succeed. Uh, Klopp's probably, like, frustrated with FSG. I think, if anything, it's the other way around. I think that FSG probably wanted to add depth. I think they probably, like, wanted to add another player. And I think Klopp probably said, listen, until we figure out what we want to do with Takumin like, until we figure that out, and as long as we have a Rigi on the books, like, those are bodies that are going to be in front of whoever comes in or are going to be an obstacle for whoever comes in. And so, like, my take on it is, is, like, I think it's probably Jurgen Klopp that's saying, look, I've got, like, I've got these guys we got to figure out what to do with. I mean, we know Rigi is probably not going to factor in much. Um, but, like, we are – that kind of is what it is. Nobody's going to come and match his wages. He's got a contract with us. He's going to run that thing down. Um, but my, my suspicion is, is that Jurgen said, like, I've got plenty of bodies. I've got a, I can, I can work with what I have now. I'd rather have these two guys out before we add another player. That's just my take. Um, but if you look at what he's done at Dortmund um, all the way through, uh, it's very consistent. And he always has a very, very tight, small squad. And I think that is, um, I think that is a major, major thing. Like for me, like, I think that's a major reason that like, you know, we haven't added, I think it's also uh, puts a ding in recruiting. I think a lot of these players, whether it's Daka, you know, um, whether it's Rafina, I think a lot of these players take a look at Liverpool and think, damn, that's a fun team. I'd love to play for it, but where are my minutes going to come from? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about, I mean, you're talking about like play like Rafinha, for example, you know, who was rumored and probably would be, you know, ideal type of addition with the Premier League experience and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, what would be in it for him exactly? I mean, the guy just caught called up to the Brazilian national team, and he obviously needs to be on the field more to be able to. I mean, I'm sure you know his dream is to be able to go to the World Cup with Brazil, and he's not gonna get the exposure or credit for the performance sitting behind Mo and Mane and just basically being flex. It's just common sense. Like Daka sat down here with, with West Ham, Leicester and Liverpool. It's, it's widely reported. He sat down with those three clubs. So he made a decision that Leicester was the best opportunity for him. So if you look at the verbiage that him and his agent are putting out and you read between the lines, that can only mean one thing. Best opportunity means you're playing football. Like, 
you know? So like, and that's, that's the only logical explanation that you can sort of arrive at. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously as Liverpool fans, we were always like, you know, what the hell? Who wouldn't want to come in and play for Liverpool and stuff? But if you kind of put yourself in the kid's shoes uh, or his agents in terms of like, you know, long-term value and long-term prospects, it's probably a smarter decision to start a team like that. And then, I mean, I'm sure if I'm the agent, I'm saying, hey, go there, kick some butt. Leicester City is known to sell uh, high when a player is doing well. They've done so in the past. And, you know, that will be opportunity. If you really want to go to Liverpool, you can then buy them more or money might be gone. Or you might be a starter. It's probably what I would say if I'm the agent. But Galley, who was infamously harsh on Dhaka, <laughs> right here on the podcast. Uh, so what do you make of the death charts, uh, the way we are going in? Well, I, I mean, I've made it clear I would have liked an attacker signed. I didn't think it would be a star player. I thought it would be a player good enough to probably supplant those two eventually as the fifth option. Um, when your fourth option gets hurt or third option gets hurt, uh, pushing your fourth option up the depth chart, I think that that makes it a little bit more of a heightened awareness. They weren't going to go overspend on deadline day. I never expected that. Um, I don't know if Jurgen wants another attacker or wants his um, – you know, managing uh, head of transfers to actually make sales sometimes for a million or two less than his hard cold evaluations. Cause at some point you have to just cut the dead wood out and get rid of it so you can move on. And I understand that they wanted to get, you know, 18 from wolves for Origi. Well, maybe they should have got 10 and got the wages off the books so that they could have signed a 60,000 a week player. But I will say this, we can't get caught up in, and I agree with all the points about Rafinha, but we can't get caught up with the idea of what do, what do they have? You know what they have as a chance to come to Liverpool? They have a chance to play in the Champions League almost every single year. They have a chance to secede and beat Mane out, who has been off the boil for basically 14 months at this point. If someone came to Liverpool as a right winger and and put on their big boy pants and walked out on the pitch and earned the spot. And I think Harvey Elliott has proven in the beginning of this season, basically anyone can be beaten out for a job at Liverpool and it will take a lot to beat Mane. But if Rufino wanted, really wanted that job, he could come to Liverpool. So I think there will be a young player that bets on themselves that signs for this club in the next year, year and a half. I actually hope it is Rafinha. Have a great year at Leeds, set yourself up to go to the World Cup, and come in a year's time because he looks the part of a player who creates and scores from the wing and has the speed and the ability to cut inside on both feet. Uh, and it just looks a perfect foil for what Jurgen likes to do. I agree to the, I mean, I definitely agree on Rafinha being a good fit to the system. I just don't, you know, if I'm Rafinha, I just don't see the upside of joining Liverpool right now. Because uh, I'm assuming, you know, it's not his only option. Because, I mean, you mentioned Elliot, but, I mean, think of Elliot, one, his age, and two, you know, the I mean, it's kind of like, you know, his opportunities are limited, and he's already here. So this is probably his best shot in terms of breaking it into a top, you know, Premier League team, uh, or, you know, he would be signed by a lesser team, and then he might make it there, but... You know, if you're Elliot, I think the perspective is a lot more different than 
you know, a player like Rafinha, who's already proven himself in the Premier League. And I think that's the thing. You know, if we signed some, if we did sign somebody, I don't think it would have been anybody that's, you know, these fans will be excited about like, Oh, we can, it wouldn't have been a big name. It would have been like, you're saying Gally with like a young kid that, you know, Oh, we kind of know and stuff like that where, and here's another thing we know club, anybody we sign, you know, is not going to play for two, three months anyway. So aside from like the Bobby injury, that is still kind of like mysterious in terms of like what it is and how bad it is. Um, Hopefully the other guys stay healthy and we can kind of like keep going because we are entering the really tough part of the schedule. So which having said that, this is when I usually fall off the fantasy football world when the games start coming thick and thin. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about fantasy football. More importantly, um, let's look at like real quick. Uh, well, Gally, you're like the master of... Uh, fantasy football supposedly uh so you're in 10th actually in our league tied with our uh the polish prince mateusz from our uh american scouser and with i am currently hanging in there with in 31th with 221 points right above mr bickler who has a measly 220 points but yeah my time will come to an end pretty soon over here where i lose grip of the fantasy team galley any suggestions and more importantly we don't care how your team is doing but anybody who listens to the podcast regularly knows bickler and i are a lot more invested in, in your wife kelly's team how is her team doing yes kelly's uh kelly's squad clapback are hanging in there right now i think they are probably right in between where i am and uh they're in the league too somewhere. I don't know the exact position, um, but she's doing good. She's she's talking about what moves she's going to make. She's looking into it. You know, the international break is a uh, tough time for fantasy tinkers, especially people who play pretty regularly, because you got basically two weeks uh, in between. And if you make too many moves or do things, it'll blow up in your face. Uh, price changes happen. So it's kind of one of those annoying periods. Uh, it's also a period where the transfer window closes. And when players like Ronaldo and Lukaku and players like that move late in the window, it adds a lot and changes. So I think they'll be, I think you'll see a lot of people using their wild cards and blowing up their teams on week three, trying to chase points early. And uh, normally that doesn't work out, but who knows? Maybe making a move on your team to get Ronaldo and Salah and Lukaku all at once makes sense, but uh, not for me. Hmm. Yeah, I did just find Kelly. She's 54th right now with 210 points. Paul, how are you going to make up this huge point between us? And more importantly, how are, <laughs> how are we going <laughs> to <laughs> I'm gonna do exactly what Gally said people shouldn't do, and probably throw a wild card in there and blow my team up. I mean, what do you it's mean? It's the right thing to do. The only question is: Is Trent Arnold Alexander worth seven million pounds? I don't know. <laughs> Say yes. I just don't. Uh, I mean, I should this year at least go out with a bang and use all of them before the scheduler gets tight. There are midweek games, and I forget to change the lineup and. Uh, Gally, since you're the fantasy football guru here, can you explain to I wouldn't go that far, Bickler and I, why the hell does fantasy football 
fantasy soccer, whatever you want to call it, work like this, where if you miss one game, you're shot for the entire week. Why can't you change people that were not involved? Kind of, you can do with yeah. any other freaking answer, fantasy sport. Answer that. There is no answer. There's no answer why you can't make substitutions after they happen. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't be able to put people into games if the match has already occurred. So if you miss them playing and they're on your bench, I don't think you should be able to put them in. Um, I think the idea of the game originally wasn't that people would play it the way that they do with the daily maneuverings and the guys who take big negatives every week to try to get high scores and and the fact that it's almost become uh, a daily tinkering obsession of people. Um, there's blogs invested to it and websites and paid services. It's kind of ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, it really is. This is, why, this is why you don't let the Brits run stuff, though. I mean – like they, there's a refusal to look at anything else and borrow from other fantasy sports that work. We have rules that don't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of like rigid tradition that's just rigid for the sake of tradition. Um, this is this is essentially British imperialism just adopted in fantasy sports. Well, they they basically were like, listen, you people had Madden for 25 years as the best football game, as the best video game in in the United States. We we made sure FIFA took it over. And now soccer is the biggest game played by all your kids. And we're going to take over your fantasy football eventually, too. That's going to take a long time here in the United States, though. But there are 7 million people playing this game across the world, which is pretty crazy. So that's got to be the poll question of the week, though. Is fantasy Premier League just an extension of British imperialism? <laughs> so you know Bickler's answer is, is yes. Paul is already bitter about the rules, and then you made him even more bitter by bringing up the topic of FIFA, which is really a sore spot for Paul. So let's not delve it any further. <laughs> Just like, let the guy on, be. We are on international break. <laughs> I Hey, listen, I get down in the lower leagues where I belong. I get it. I know my place in FIFA. <laughs> okay, so... Looking ahead to this weekend, hoping nothing more obnoxious happens during the international break. We're going to go away to Leeds. Tough place to play, tough team to play, especially physically. And I would think that's really going to kind of affect our decision making in terms of like the starting 11. But Gally, let's start with you. Uh, who do you have in your starting 11 against Leeds? Uh, I think we'll go out with our strongest fit 11 and I think that'll consist. Now, are we, are we banking on the pre the pretense here that Allison Fabinho, they're all playing and that FIFA's not going to uphold the five game, five day ban. Um, you know, I think then we have Allison playing our normal back four with Robertson and Trent uh, Matip and Verge Fabinho Henderson I think we will see um, probably see Tiago from the start, and then up front, I think you'll be looking at Mane, Jota, and Sal. Yeah, I think you know when we talk about lineups. Well, last year it was lack of options. Uh, we were like, which midfielder is going to play center back? Was the game we were playing uh, this year? I think the main challenge is the midfield, trying to figure out you know which midfield trio would go. Uh, do you agree with that trio, Paul? I almost sense because, and I think that's why I kind of mentioned the fact that it is a really physical 
and a team that runs a lot, I almost sensed we could possibly see Milner out there. Isn't Milner still hurt? I thought he was back practicing. You still I don't know. Maybe. maybe. I mean, that's possible. Here's my fear. Like, I've got essentially the same starting 11. Um, I don't, I'm not 100% sure we'll see Thiago off the bat, which leaves me with, like, Navi. And if Navi's – like, my fear is Thiago is not 100% yet. He's not going to start. Navi's late getting back, or Navi's coming off international break. And you know that, like, Jurgen traditionally doesn't like to brush people right back after international break. So my concern is that we have a repeat of what we did last match, which I did not like, where Henderson plays on his weak side, and you have Harvey Elliott on the right. And, like, my gut feeling is that's what we're going to see. We're going to see Hendo on the left, Harvey on the right, and Fabinho in the hole. And, like, I just do not like that. Like, Jordan Henderson has just not traditionally done well on that left side. He did last game. So what I'm hoping for is that Galley's right and Thiago is ready, and it's Fab Thiago Hendo with Hendo on his normal right side. And if not, my, I would like to see Navi in there, Navi Fab Hendo. But, like, I've got this really, like, sick feeling that we're going to end up seeing Hendo on the left, Harvey on the right, and Fab in the hole. How about Curtis? His time's got to be coming soon. Um, I just think he'll get the first cup game to start, and that'll be how he gets bled in, uh, get minutes and game time. Um, I mean, he was suspended for both of these under-21 matches, so he's with the team, but he couldn't even play for that silly red card he got uh, in that match last year, so he had to have a three-match ban. So, I, I, you know, I, he really hasn't played much at all outside of that closed-door uh, match they played a few weeks back to get guys' uh, feet ready. I think the other thing that would have wouldn't have surprised me, except for I'm happy to see Scotland's third match is tomorrow, Um I wouldn't have been surprised to if Tamikas had gotten a start had Scotland played like Thursday the way that uh, some of the clubs are, or some of the countries are playing as close to Sunday's match because you know that Scotland's going to play Robo in all 90 minutes of all three matches in a week and run him into the ground. And I could have saw Klopp saying, you know what, no, we're giving you a week off. You know, we're going to play the kid. He looked good. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that'll happen. With the fact that the match is tomorrow – I think that gives them plenty of time for a Sunday um, late afternoon kickoff. I think he will end up making the start for Robo. Um, but I think that's something to watch. I think giving guys a little breather, they're playing a lot of football, and then they're going away playing more football while they're gone. It's kind of scary. It has become kind of obnoxious, like their schedule. You know, we used to only talk about, you know, oh, the Christmas period and stuff like that. Now it's like starts – pretty much in September all the way through, it feels like. And I know it's a bit more congested than normal because of like the African Cup, but, you know, because, you know, the break is going to be extended and stuff a little bit, it feels like. But I, you know, I I feel like we might have, especially as we head into a World Cup, we might have a similar deal where we are missing a lot of top players in from the World Cup due to injuries suffered, uh, especially towards the tail end of the season, just, for being freaking tired. I mean, they're running these guys into the ground. It can't be the way to go, but that's how the big money is made. So any like takes from the international games that you guys had? I know um, 
I mean, I could just go on and on about the Turkish national team and cry over here, but or share my anger, but you know, that only gets me so far. Um, I, I U.S. game, I know, uh, I you guys obviously followed a lot closer than I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, uh, just kind of like turned it on for a couple of minutes. That was it. But, uh, any hot takes on the international games, Gally? You're a lot more. The U.S. team was about international football than Bickler. So the U.S. Yep. team was poor, sure. uh, poor in their execution of what I would say were poor tactics and setup, oh, especially okay. in the El Salvador match. Uh, very unlike them. What's that? It's very unlike them. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing what happens when you put out a mediocre manager and ask them to basically uphold mediocre tactics. And sometimes they actually start players that are of the more mediocre status of the players that they have. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Burhalter signing or hiring when they first announced him as manager. So I can kind of stand true to all my complaints. I just don't think uh, as advanced as the players start to get in their individual games by playing at better clubs and countries that he has a tactical awareness to put them together and they might win a tournament here or there. They may, you know, win a match against Mexico in penalties by making a few plays, but nothing will change as long as you're still trotting out guys like Tim Ream and playing four, three, three in a way where, you know, it's dribble and drive. It's not 1990. You're not kicking it to the corner and beating people on grit and merit. You're American, but you no longer just have to beat people on sweat, equity, and hustle. Like you have ballplayers who can actually play the game and are learning by some of the great minds in Europe. And you got to take advantage of it. And this guy can't. So I'm on my soapbox there because, you know, it pained me not to have them in the last World Cup, even though I liked making fun of them and poking the bear. Um, but it really bothered me. And it, it you know, it's going to bother me again if we got to slump into another match later this week. And I got to watch these guys kick the ball around and act like they have no idea how to put one in the net. I find that odd, actually, that the, the two national teams, like the Turkish national team, is almost like on a similar boat. I feel like both of them have a lot of young quality talent that play on top teams in top leagues. And in both cases, it almost feels like a subpar manager who is kind of like, you know, not with the current decade and current like level the, the sport is played in kind of like holding everybody back. And I I would think, kind of like what you're saying, Gally, that, you know, having come from these top teams, it's almost more important now to have your national team coach be of a certain experience and stature so when the guy comes to the national team, he listens to you as well. Uh, so, you know what I mean? In terms of, like, being respecting the coach and what they're saying instead of saying, dude, what are you talking about? You know, like I play in the Premier League, I play here and stuff like that. So to be able to have a coach that's respected in terms of, you know, career and, you know, like the resume as a whole, I feel like it's more important in teams like that. And that's what we can bring Dickler who just will just take this away for hours. You know, I'm so positive about the U.S. men's national team all the time. <laughs> I think the problem that I have with the national team in general is that, like, and I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the actual, like, core of the fucking system. There feels like a sense of entitlement that's very American. 
Like we should be a world power because we're the United States. And like, I think we got sort of fooled 15 years ago when we started making the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I think it was South Korea. Um, like where we thought, oh, we're, we're a national power. We can win a World Cup. We can be perennially in the top five, you know, across the world if we just improve our quality, if we just improve the quality of players. And, you know, like I think in a way we've gone backwards because now I think like we figured out the NCAA is not the best path for our youngest players. They should be overseas playing in other leagues from like time they're 12 on up, just like all the other kids, um, if not younger over there. We figured that out, you know, whether it's military kids with postage or, or, you know, we figured that out. And the quality is there. We're getting better players. But the problem is, it's like the core of the U.S. men's national team hasn't changed. It's still the same bullshit that we've always had. And like now we're just, we've got better quality players, but we don't have the management. We don't have the structure and it's not like dialed in. It's like, I just think that like, we've, we've kidded ourselves into thinking that we should be a national power if we just have better quality in terms of players. Well, we figured out like the quality of player doesn't matter if you don't know how to put a starting 11 out there that's cohesive and we can't. Yeah. The, the spine of the team just needs to be improved and that's all there is to it. But let's also not go past, you know, whistle past one of the key factors. We can rail on management. Paul's right. We can talk about whether or not the uh, coaches has enough experience to be coaching a team of this um, stature in the United States national team of a country of this size. But the team also doesn't have an identity because the team doesn't have a leader with a backbone and a spine. We've heard it's going to be Tyler Adams. It should be Weston McKinney. Pulisic's the best player. Reina's up and coming. Stefan's the backup goalie here. You know, Sergino Des picked America, and now he's – it doesn't matter. You can give people Captain America nicknames, but if they don't do anything, the difference was Landon Donovan was the best player on the United States national team and the captain – and Clint Dempsey would grab someone by the throat and pull him to the ground, whether they were on his team or the other. So they had the they had both leaders, the, the yapper and the guy who talked to the refs and then the guy who got everything done. And they don't have either on this team. And they all want to take claim at that. And it's why they look like they don't know what's going on in El Salvador and a guy with Weston McKenney's talent can get kicked out of the most important game for his country he ever had for breaking COVID rules. How does your second best player not be eligible to play against Canada unless you have real, real rot in the leadership of your setup? So you thought Pick Bickler was the one who got <laughs> negative when it came to the U.S. It kills me, man. I mean, you know, I'm a card-carrying member of the fan base that travels around the country and watches them play and, you know, has supported them when they were crappy before they were making runs to the World Cup in 2002. I mean, I was at the first World Cup here. Um, I remember the 4th of July game and how bad the loss was. I mean, you know, I was a little boy and I fell in love with the national team then. And for them to have so much talent right now, and go draw, draw after the way they finished 
in Trinidad and Tobago over a year and a half ago. It just baffles my mind. Nothing has changed. It's Groundhog's Day all over again. And the best players don't even show up to play. At least back in the day, they just had bad hair and just kicked <laughs> other people. They did. They had bad hair, and they kicked guys harder than the other guys. But they won some games, won nothing on a late header, you know, by someone with a bad mop of hair. Well, Bickler, I think we have found something to get Galley going. So I'm going to put this in my like, pocket. I feel like a proud father right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to put this in my pocket. So anytime I want to get Galley going, I'm just going to bring this out because I, I don't Thank see you. I don't see a lot changing. So I'm sure I can just bring Greg, it up. Greg Berhalter. That's, that's the fuse. Meanwhile, you mentioned Dempsey, who I hated with a freaking passion. Uh, top five hated footballers of all time. And uh, just to think that he could almost be a liberal player just makes me cringe. So that was close, people. Thank you, Hendo, <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, so before we part, and we should be able to from now on uh, do our video as long as I'm with our post-match. Uh, and if you're listening on Spotify, you can always like watch the video. I don't know why you would want to see us, I guess, but you know, if you really want to and see the visuals and stuff like that and see how mad Galley gets as he talks about the US national team, which is worth watching, I'm gonna have to say. Uh, <laughs> you can always check out the YouTube channel or actually our Facebook page. But before we leave, gentlemen, let's get some score predictions for the Leeds game. What do we? anticipating galley we will start with you all right i'm gonna go uh three or one three liverpool win hmm. i actually like that well any liverpool win i would like but bickler what do you have yeah that was actually gonna be my score so i will go three two liverpool yeah, I'm, as always, not going to be as optimistic. But I do think this is hopefully a game where we can have actually Leeds come at us and, like, hit him on the counter when we need to and kind of win this. I go with 3-1 as well, actually, hoping we get three points. And then, it's a, like I say, it's a tough period starting over here. So it would be good to start it as a streak. And kind of, like, calm down the fan base. I just don't know if... The fan base that is not happy or constantly paranoid or whatever it is. I thought I was the pessimist to like see these guys. Uh, I don't know if they're just louder than the rest. And, you know, the calm collected ones are just like waiting. But I just sense like a lot of because of this transfer uh, window and, you know, the fact that we didn't do a lot of business because we did do a lot of businesses of moving some people out and loans and stuff like that. But, uh, and obviously a lot of like extensions, but the lack of signings uh, make a lot of people very nervous. I think I th really think it's based off last year more than anything else, but a win would be huge. So gentlemen, thank you for joining me and galley. When does us play again? Oh man, I'm going to love this. I, I don't even. I think it's third. It's Wednesday or Thursday night. I I don't even know. I don't even know if I can watch it. Honestly, it's back down. Is it Costa Rica? I think it's down in South America or Central America, which means that they're just gonna play terrible. They're gonna be on some wobbly pitch. They'll be ready to make excuses. I mean, they used. They basically have used every single excuse to be used from travel to restrictions to rules it's covid 
to wobbly pitches. They actually complained about a fire alarm going off in their room, in the hotel. Like, yes, that's what happens in these countries. Like, they know what where what hotel you're staying in. They fire off the fire alarm at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, get over yourself. But the fire alarm brings back fond college memories where we used to get up at like 2 in the can, freaking can morning. You imagine, can you imagine claiming that losing an hour of sleep is the reason that you couldn't beat a team that was so – inferior to you to begin with quality wise (laughs) they joked they joked that one suburb of dallas had as many residents as the like greater sector of people that they could choose from that qualified for the el salvador team i will have to say i did love their atmosphere in the stadium though i just turned it on and only watched for like five minutes and you know i do i have a you know Speaking of like FIFA leagues, uh, the guy who actually commissions the the FIFA league I'm in um, is from El Salvador. And he was actually saying like, this is huge for them. Like, this is their year. You know what I mean? Like, this game is their year. It's a huge deal for them. We were kind of talking about, you know, uh, club over country and stuff like that. And he was mentioning for El Salvador, this home game against the U.S. was like huge for them. And you could kind of tell by the atmosphere they created. I thought it was, you know, like really cool to be able to see that stadium like that. It was an amazing atmosphere. It was also filmed as if the guy who runs your men's soccer league was filming one of your matches. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a match from a college game where the wire was going to drop in any moment, and then out of nowhere the camera was just going to fall to the side. Like, we got three angles. It was the only thing that I thought would make Tim lower was when the dead angle and you did like, both the referee and the opponent were out running in the sideline. Yeah, it was, it was a bad, bad look for the United States. Yeah, I think, I don't know, somebody sent this coach. I don't know if it was you, Bickler, that it looked like somebody's parents was just like recording and streaming it to everybody. It was just bad. It was bad. But okay, gentlemen, we'll call an episode here. Hopefully, next week we'll be talking about a victory against Leeds and getting ready for the Champions League against Milan. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Don't forget to join us next week where we're recording live again every Monday evening. And just join us with your comments, suggestions, ideas, whatever it might be. See you guys next week.